another Tuesday. And we have a packed house with us here for Nuance. It's crowded. Um, and I'm joined by her co-host, Jay Carter, AKA Timid. He is the chair of BLM Tokyo and the hip hop MC extraordinaire. And it's morning where you are. So good morning to you, Jay. Thank you very much. Good evening to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little wounded today, but uh, gonna soldier through. So You've had that my, past few shows that we did. Yeah, sometimes a few times a year in the mornings I get I get some allergies, but uh, the wound today is my my baby, my laptop. You know, the battery is swollen, so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm on a mobile setup right now. Well, you are single as hell to call a laptop your baby. <laughs> I mean, some people call their dogs or their pets. I've heard that. I haven't heard anyone call their laptop their baby. You know, it's, it's what I do on there. You know, I'm on there all the time. So, you know, work or entertainment, whatever it is, game, reading, you know. Well, at least it's not a phone, right? Yeah, well, I got those two. I got two of those. So. We also oh. have two guests today. We have Armand Rivera, who is a stock slash options retail trader. Is that accurate? That's pretty accurate. <laughs> okay. Good to see you, Armand. We'll get into our connection, how we all know each other in a bit. But we also want to welcome back a previous guest, Jeremy Bucaria from HB Cop. Last week, Jeremy, you were in the chat and people were suggesting that you come on. I said, we had you on, but you're always welcome back. So we're happy to have you back to talk about what's in the news and everything going on this week. Crazy week. Right. Thanks for having me, guys. I look forward to it. And for those asking, let's get it out the way. Jeremy is in a public place right now, which is why he's wearing the mask. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's safer to wear the mask in public. There you go. So let's, to me, it's, it's so crazy that that has to be clarified, that people will even freak out that he's wearing a mask. It's like, I, especially being out here in Japan, it's just so crazy to even hear that. Like, Well, there will be comments, because last time we had a guest on with a mask, I did get a barrage of comments asking, how come the person is wearing a mask? And, you know, people want to know. Well, how come they're wearing a hat? Because they freaking want to. Like, I'm just, <laughs> it's just so stupid to me. I think they were attempting to make fun of us like because they were thinking i was going to say oh she thinks that she's going to get covid through zoom something like that you know but <laughs> even just to think that for for some people you know it's just it's insanity that's why a lot of people are laughing at our country right now even more so because some of the cases that we're going to get into later today um in this in this talk but um yeah it's just kind of weird to me so before we get into it i did want to briefly bring up this past week, I was a guest speaker at Temple University, Japan, and um, spoke to a class on American social movements. And um, it was really interesting because there were a lot of students that were international for Japan. So they're people from China, from Bangladesh, and this and that. And we went over BLM, we went under, over the idea of defund the police, we went over over policing and things like that. And so it was funny because looking at the statistics and looking at the situation when I laid it out to them, they come to the same conclusion, they came to the same conclusions that a lot of protesters come to. And it's like, if the if they can get it, and they're not from the country, then why is it that the leaders can't get it? Why is it that the government doesn't get it? It's just, it was just crazy. But I enjoyed the experience. It's always awesome. It was a great discussion and super cool. 
great. I'm sure they got a lot out of that. I hope so. Sorry? They have a lot of questions for you? Yeah, they did. And actually, so, you know, they were um, undergrad students. And so their next class was, was going to be starting shortly after that one. And then the whole class stayed behind and purposely was late for the next class because they wanted to ask some questions. So I'll take it as they, they, they felt like they got some value out of the talk. And not that they're just trying to play hooky. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to talk to Armand. We called him Armand. We actually know him as Scheme. We met through hip hop. <laughs> yes. MC and uh, potato chip aficionado. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a long time since all three of us know each other. We, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just one introduction, you know, to me and Mike originally. And then uh, Mike introduced me to Jay. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. We've been, uh, you know, we talk, we've always talked on and off for a long time. But, uh, you know, no matter how long we go without speaking, we can always pick up where we left off. So definitely history yeah. there. Right. And we've done some traveling. We did some performances throughout the country, up and down the I-95, right? Yeah, got a ticket on the way there. You know, we, we went straight through to Miami for 22 hours straight. <clears throat> taking yeah, taking turns driving yeah it's spontaneous one day we were just talking and we said we want to get out of new york for a bit we should go to miami and then we're like you know what why don't we just go right now with no plan and we just got on the road and drove that was and fun that was it yeah that was a great time <laughs> great you've time done, you've done that a couple of times mike like just get up and go and just a super long drive just on the spur of the moment i've done that even in the middle of working on a very stressful project I've said, right. you know, I want a change of scenery. I'm going to keep working, but I want to do it someplace else. And I'll just drive to Virginia and check into a hotel or something like that. Just, you know, you feel like you're on the little vacation, even though you're still working. Right. It's true. It can sometimes, help. Yeah, I was about to say, sometimes the mental needs that, right? Yeah. Just that yeah. little change of scenery is everything. So we definitely want to get into three important cases that happened. And we can talk about to what extent we agree and disagree with the three of them. But before we do, last week we mentioned how Wall Street did very well this past year. And that's a big part of the reason why the New York City budget was able to uh, be more than it was. It went up to $101 billion. Do you have any insight as to why that might be as someone who deals in stocks? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I see it all the time. You know, back in the day, you, you were able to um, it was harder to buy and sell stocks, you know, depending on how far you want to go back. But now it's easier than ever. So with the access comes everybody who is looking to make money. You know, people, you know, people see advertisements on Facebook. People see uh, or hear about other people making money through the stock market. And they say, hey, I want a piece of that. Um, and what happens is now that it's at our fingertips, you could just download an app, you know, fill out the application process and you can start trading. Um, what happens is there's a lot of inexperience, you know, and, and the most retail traders, which a retail traders, basically just everyday Joe's everyday me and you, you know, we're deciding that we want to trade. We have no affiliation with the hedge fund or, um, you know, we might not necessarily know anyone who does stocks. Right. But, um, because there's such a big rise because of how easy it is now, it's, it's literally taking candy from a baby. That's what it is. So all the hedge funds, you know, all the big wigs, they, they run their algorithms because that's what happens with, with most stocks, right? Or with all the stock, the stock market is based on algorithms that, that just, you know, they buy and sell and it's all computer. Um, so it's very easy for them to see what people are doing before they, you know, right as soon as they do it. 
and then they could manipulate the price any way that they want. So, um, you know, hypothetically, if they have, hey, if I'm about to, you know, if this stock goes down to, you know, $15, for instance, and it's at $20, I have to sell. I don't want to lose all my money in it. So they'll drive the price down to that $15 mark, take everyone's stop losses, and then they'll bring it back up. And that's how they make their money. That's, that was probably part of the, the reason that, uh, that it increased so much this year specifically. Wow. Yeah. So many people involved in the market now who never were. And you're right. People used to look at stock trading as something rich people did. And now it's like everyone is trying to get in on because you can do it with an app. It's just so easy to do. Absolutely. Right. And, and it used to be, if you're going back, you're talking, you know, before the, the what, in the 90s and whatnot, if you were doing stock trading then, it also cost you for every trade that you made because you had to pay a broker to make the trade for you. Um, so there was that cost prohibitive factor to it. Then when you got into like the early 2000s, when the, the internet was starting to spread even bigger and you got companies like E-Trade that popped up and they were like, okay, we're gonna reduce the cost of it. Now stock trades like $15 uh, per trade. So you can do that. Um, and then the further it got along, now you could get Robinhood and places like that come along and now it's free to make any stock trade. It doesn't cost you anything. So you can literally get on there, get get an app and be stock trading on your phone in and out of stocks and it doesn't cost you anything to do so. So it's, yeah, access is really op wide open right now. And you see a lot so, of people on social media talking about stock trading who you never would have thought were before and probably weren't before, but all of a sudden now it's like a very trendy thing to do. Oh yeah, I mean, and you can think about it. You know, everybody is looking for that that extra money, especially the, mid the middle class, right? They, you know, um, and the lower class, they want they want they want that life. They want to be able to provide for their families. They, you know, they want to do anything that they can. And when they see other people doing it, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are a bunch of scammers who are like, oh, I'm making so much money and I'm doing this and that, and everyone's like, oh, I want to join. And they're like, hey, if you pay me, I can give you these alerts for free, or I can tell you what to buy. And then, you know, and then sometimes they get, you know, kind of, you know, screwed out of their money in a way, um, you know, because they think they're learning from, um, you know, from these gurus, um, where when ultimately the way they're making their money is on other people. Uh, right. But, you know, I honestly could say that it's one of the biggest frauds, you know, the, the stock market, you know, um, the SEC, you know, there's a lot of retail traders, especially after that whole AMC, if you followed that, the AMC and, and GameStop, um, when that whole thing was going on, I think it was in 2019 originally, um, you know, and everything happened where everyone was making so much money, um, you know, you could see what happened with the manipulation, Robin Hood included, you know, they stopped people, the everyday people from, from buy, being able to buy stocks and you could only sell them. And, you know, kind of as I pointed out in our earlier conversation before, you know, this, when you could only sell a stock, there's only one way it can go down. So the people who were trying to get that money, who were getting money, um, they ended up losing out because then it was that brokerage and then it was another brokerage who did it. And then there was a couple that followed suit and others like the bigger ones who didn't follow suit. But, you know, the SEC, you know, we point things out to them. Um, you know, nothing, nothing really happens uh, with that. It, you know, it, it's one of the most corrupt systems, I think, that, that we have in place here. So. All right. And that happened a couple of times when there was it was halted by by brokerages like Robinhood. Um, uh, I think even Ameritrade got into it at one point. Um, can't remember another ones. And I think a lot of it in that spe specific case had to do with the way that some of these apps allow trading to go on. It's a certain type of trading. So it's, it's an arbitrage type of uh, a trading where, you know, when you put that that order in to buy it. You're not doing basically. You're not really getting a direct order uh, purchase of it. 
um, they're purchasing it from somewhere else. And so the price can fl fluctuate slightly. And that's where they make their money since the trades are free. And so to be able to, to cover that so that they that when someone puts an order in, that there is something there, they halted buying of it because, you know, there was so much traffic coming in. Yeah, you know, they just, you know, could have been caught off guard off of it. Yeah, that's that's kind of what their excuse was, um, is that, you know, it was like a black swan event and, you right. know, it, you know, this would have, you know, the, the chances or possibility of, of something like this happening is, you know, uh, one in, you know, a billion or whatever it is. Right. And um, and that's kind of their excuse. I'm pretty sure there was a class action lawsuit against uh, people like Robin Hood. And I think I think they right. they actually, you know, the retail traders actually won that. But the issue, but to your point is, I, I understand that sometimes you have to halt stocks, right? Because if something goes up too fast or something goes down too fast, you know, maybe there's something that's going on, which I get. But when you're doing it to manipulate the stock to prevent the buyers right. to stop it, that's where the issue is. And, and you know, on, on top of that, the market makers, the people who, who make, the, make the prices and all that, um, some of those people are the same hedge funds that are getting right. rich off. So they, so they can see the order flow within like milliseconds of when somebody says, I want to buy this stock. So they know and how many people are doing it. And it knows exactly how much they need to do to really manipulate the stock. So that's where, you know, there's really no separation there of what's going on with that. And that was partially what they were, they were kind of the, the hedge funds were, were nervous about during the whole GameStop uh, situation, because the, the retail traders had basically gotten together through sharing of information and done did to them what the, the hedge funds typically do to everyone else is say you know this is what i'm doing and then you got a million people saying okay well i'm doing that too and so you know the hedge funds were betting on the stock to go down because they're trying to push the stock down and the, the retail traders are like yeah but we're not going to buy it because we can see that that's what you're going to do we can see that your options are going to come up and you're going to have to pay so we're going to hold which is going to force you into a loss unless you do, you know, whatever. And so that was what that was whole, whole thing was about. It was like really like the, the, the little guy versus the hedge funds and they didn't like a taste of their own medicine. David versus Goliath, that's exactly what it was. And the issue with that is, is the reason it went so crazy is they didn't think they were gonna be as resilient as they were. You know, when, right. they, when they together, they, they thought that, you know, we're gonna scare them away with puffing out our chest and that they were just right. gonna go away and we're gonna, they want to bankrupt some of these companies like AMC and GME. Like, like that's what all the ultimate goal was. But so they shorted and they shorted shares, right? So let's say I, I have a company and I have, let's say a thousand total shares. They were shorting 1500 shares. So right. then you want shares to think- didn't even exist. Shares that didn't even exist, exactly. So that's what caused the issue. And that's why some of them, I think there were a couple that had margin calls and they lost billions of dollars because of it, uh, because they, you know, the retail traders stayed in. but they were able to, to use the synthetic shares is kind of what it's called, right? The, the shares that really don't exist. Um, there's other things that, you know, I'm not gonna get into deep, but like dark pools and things like that, but there's a lot of, a lot of money and a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes where they try right. to recoup the money, money and the retail trader had, can't do anything about it. We have to play by the rules when ultimately they don't. Yeah. I'm, I wanna move on to the three cases, but before we do, what is crypto's role in all this, this recent surge in stock activity? Yeah, uh, crypto. So, you know, the, the crypto space is a funny one, right? Um, there's, there's coins that that are um, that are popping up all over the place. But, you know, two of the big ones, obviously, everybody knows Bitcoin um, and Ethereum. And really, it's it's supposed to be a, a decentralized 
type of uh, money, right? That that we could use. And um, you know, the thing is with with, with these with with uh, Bitcoin or or especially uh, Ethereum is they have utilities that are that that go along with them, right? So it's not just uh, I, I could pay for this and I could pay for that. With that, there, there's there's a lot of things, there's a lot of checks and balances, but it's not controlled by the people who've been controlling, you know, a lot of us in, in the first place. Um, and 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 crypto, um, it's you know, I, I think it's you know, at any time the federal government can, can shut things down, and even though it could still live on in a decentralized way, um, it, you know, they can still do things to to really halt that as well. So I mean, honestly, I think only the future will, will really tell, but I think there's definitely going to be a future for it. For sure, especially when, when it comes time for recession and stuff like that, um, you know, it's going to happen. So we're going to definitely be utilizing that in the future. It just depends on how how close, you know. Right now, there's a lot of concern about the environmental impacts of crypto mining. And New York State in particular is very concerned, worried about that, looking into it uh, to see what we could do about that, if we could reverse that course. Yeah, the, 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 you know, the grid that, that, that people are using, you know, the, the power grid, that the, the utilization is, is off the charts. And it's true for the miners. You know, I know that there's, um, there's certain miners out there where they'll have a whole field of solar panels. And that's what they're utilizing, you know, for that. Um, you know, I, I've even heard of people who, who had uh, windmills, you know, as, as a source of power. Like, yeah, like there's a lot of, a lot of different things out there, but that is, that is part of the issue. Um, and right. that's the difference between a coin, like a Bitcoin takes a lot more power to mine as opposed to an Ethereum. And Ethereum, it, it, and, and that it, it all goes by how it's coded and, and, and a lot of the backend stuff, but, that's, but they can make that better even by a coin and, and, and from a, tech, uh, a technology standpoint, if that makes sense. So it's not as labor intensive. Right, and, that, and that's kind of the idea, one of the ideas behind um, Ethereum too, that's if that ever does come out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. I guess it's time to get depressing. We spoke really in great detail about the draft decision on Roe v. Wade that had come out, but our fears materialized. The decision actually came out, so it's official now. Roe v. Wade is overturned. We are set back as a country 50 plus years. I personally believe this is a sad and quite honestly terrible day, a terrible week, terrible time to be an American. <laughs> What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that I mean, that all abortions are legal are illegal now. All abortions across the board. No. So what it means is that the federal right, which was recognized by Roe v. Wade, is no more. So there's no more federal right to an abortion. The states now can individually regulate it the way they wish. So in New York, we still do have pretty strong abortion protections. In many other states, that's not the case. And in fact, immediately after this decision came out, you started to see more red states taking swift action to make it illegal. There's no more Supreme Court saying that you have a right. So the states now have no barrier before them. If they want to make it illegal, they can. Right. And that's, that's why this is going to be... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jeremy. Oh, I was saying, do we know what the split is as far as uh, states are concerned? Because can't the states override it with like two thirds or something? So do we know what the split is? Uh, so are you referring to a constitutional amendment? Yes. So they could try that route. They could, in theory, you could pass a constitutional amendment to overturn the decision, which would 
essentially provide a, a federal abortion right and you know enshrine it in our constitution you would have to get that past congress but then the states would have to ratify it. it's three-fifths of the states which in this environment is really impossible right yeah and and so i wanted to you know we we know that and i know one of the big things that people have been talking about mentioned it uh you and i talked about it earlier i think we should be a little bit clear because a lot of people are, are screaming about codifying Roe v. Wade into law. Like that's that's what been their their ultimate backup plan. And they're like, oh, this, you know, Obama was ran on codifying it. He didn't do it. You know, Biden hasn't made any move on it. Like really we should have codified this and and, and let's get the politicians into codifying this in the law. But is that a, a really an ultimate protection to actually codify it? So Congress could, but there is a danger that that could be overturned as well by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court decision really makes this a quote unquote states rights issue. So really, if you want that ultimate protection from the court, you need individual states to do it. Meaning if there's a Republican state that doesn't want to do it, you can have to flip that state blue in order to get that codified in that state. Otherwise, there's no foolproof way to do it that the court can't come back in and overturn. Right. And so at the state level, if it's codified, can that also be overturned? Not under this reasoning. I mean, I, I suppose the Supreme Court could reverse itself as it just did. That was a big part of the controversy with this decision. You had Roe v. Wade in effect for decades, and all of a sudden the court said, we're going to reverse ourselves on this because we thought that was a bad decision. So they said, now it's up to the states. So if the states, let's say in theory, all got together and said, we're all going to codify Roe v. Wade in our states, could the Supreme Court then reverse itself even further and say the states don't even have a right to do it? In theory, yes, but I wouldn't predict that would be the case because they just put out this decision saying it's a state's issue now. But I mean, within the state, um, could it say, for example, if New York, right now it's it's legal in New York, there's pretty good protections. Let's say New York flipped red. Um, could, it be, could it be outlawed in New York? Yes, yes, yes. So that's what the, the, the case is all about. The case is saying the states can do whatever they want. And when they say the states, they mean the state legislatures. So right. if New York were to flip red and you had uh, a Republican Senate and House, we call it the Assembly in New York, and the governor who all got together and said, we're going to outlaw abortion, there would be nothing stopping that at that point. So it's up to the will of the people right now. There is no right. The Constitution is supposed to give you rights that the people cannot take away. And the Supreme Court is saying this is no longer a right that cannot be taken away. The people are free to take away this right in their state as they see fit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Armand. I don't know. I was just gonna say, you know, this this is such a a, a rough thing, right? Um, you know, as far as you know, allowing um, you know a woman to do, you know, make their choice on what they're gonna do with their body, right? And I, I and I know, you know, when it comes to politics, you're not supposed to bring religion into politics, right? That's supposed to be separated from everything else. And I feel like some of that almost played played into, you know, that decision because. You know, at the end of the day, if you start thinking forward, right? Um, if you make drugs, certain drugs legal, does that mean there's going to people who are not going to take those drugs or going to get those drugs? So if you make abortions illegal, you don't think it's going to happen other ways? Now it's not going to be in more of a controlled environment. It's going to happen on something, you know, whether they do something to their own body, or you're going to see babies start being dropped off left to right in random places, or you know, or worse, maybe you know, dumped somewhere, um, and you know, I, I mean, I think that's something that, that we have to realistically look at, too, right? Because it's 
if somebody doesn't want to have a child for whatever the reason, um, they're not going to have that child, you know, at the end of the day. So then what happens to those babies at that point? And I think, I think the decision, uh, you know, I think once they see the effects of any, any state that decides that you can't have abortions, once they see those effects, you know, 10 years from now, um, if it stays, you know, um, th then I think, I think they would make, they would have made a different decision about that. That's my personal opinion. Well, I think what you're talking about is uh, it goes back also, it, it brings back the idea of what was happening in like the fifties and beyond, um, where they were doing like coat hanger abortions and back alley types of abortions, um, which were really unsafe and very dangerous. Um, so that could be potential for, for what's going on in the future. Yeah, that, I truly feel that. I, I feel like if somebody doesn't want to have a baby, and then what is that child's life too? Like at that point, you know, um, with somebody who doesn't want, I, I mean, I don't know, I, you know. From, the, from a law point of view, and, and I hope we should probably try to keep that in mind because there are, you know, there's four men talking about this issue and some might, you know, look at this a certain way. Um, so from the, from the law point of view, what is it that people can do from here? What is it that, that you know, the people can do from here to, to either combat this, deal with this, or, or rectify, or, or whatever? What kind of actions are... I wanted to bring up Vladimir in the chat. He said, what if someone were to challenge this in court saying it was an individual right, would the court be forced to take the case? No, first of all, the court doesn't have to take the case. And secondly, this is what the court just decided. It just decided that it was not an individual right. This is really what this was all about. So what can people do? They can vote. I mean, right. that sounds disheartening to hear because we expect the court to look out for us and protect our rights. They have chosen not to do so in this case. So what can we do? We can make sure that we vote for people in our states who will protect the right. That's really where we're at with this. And if you wanna think long-term, we have to try to change the makeup of the court. If you think these justices aren't serving the interests of the people, because let's be honest, the overwhelming majority of the people don't agree with this. They're not serving the will of the majority of Americans. So if you think that they don't belong on this court, well, that means that we have to have a president in office who is going to appoint justices that we do agree with. Uh, you, this is what we got from the last administration. These ultra conservative justices who overturn this and we'll talk about the New York case and, and so forth. You know, you ultimately you get what you vote for at the end of the day. What about um, overturning the, you know, the lifetime uh, job, you know, like these people get a lifetime job. Like are the American people for giving term limits to these people? I mean, the, it's, it's almost like a form of tyranny, you know, and, and, you know, um, Giving birth, isn't that like a natural right? Shouldn't it be, that be considered like a natural right of man to give birth? And like, it, it should be unconstitutional to violate that right. Like, you know, just from whatever I know about the constitution and thinking about it from like an economic point of view, it's like, okay, we're going like the, the conservatives, Republicans, I don't want to blame it all on one party, but you know, they're going to take the moral high road on this and say we're against abortion because of we're pro-life. But um, all right, so now are we going to fund daycare better? Are we going to fund uh, schools better? Are we going to have more uh, social workers for these children um, that might have not have been wanted? Like, what about, you know, like, what are we going to improve? 
Let's go with it. All right. Okay, America, no more abortions federally protected. So now what? How are we going to fund it? How are we going to support these individuals? How are we going to support these children that were, you know, forced being brought into the world for whatever reason? You know, like show us the money. All right. You want to have the moral high ground and, and get this legislation passed? Show people the money. Show them that you're going to support them, you know, once these children are here you know, like to the best of your ability. And that's the problem, right? It doesn't seem like there is a plan or even a desire to do that. And I think a lot of people now are making the criticism that there are many out there, perhaps even these Supreme Court justices who call themselves pro-life, but they're really pro-birth. I mean, are they really supporting people after they're born? Right. What comes yeah. next? That's my question. What comes next after after this? We don't all live happily ever after because there's uh, no abortions being done. You know, like what are we going to do to better these people's lives and to you know to show them the support? I don't see anything happening. You know, but maybe people are feeling that they have some sort of moral victory. But you know, I think the problem you know then spreads to everybody else. So I've got a. So I'm looking here at the at the the legal status here of, of abortion. I've got uh, this is in a, a Guardian article that um, you got eight states where abortion is now banned, uh, ten states where there's a ban or a severe restriction coming soon, twelve states where it's threatened, and then of course twenty and D.C. where it's where it's legal. So it's a pretty significant portion of of the states. Um, so yeah, but Hold on a second. This is now, though, right? Expect right. that to start changing very quickly now that states right. have the ability to overturn it. Right. Right. This is this is as of June 27th. It's what I'm looking at right now, as of June 27th. So, like you said, um, the ones where there's severe restrictions soon or bans or it's threatened, like all of this could be could go to ban. That could very very quickly turn into 30 states where abortion is is illegal um so like you mentioned before and i think it, it can't be overstated that the fight is now in the states a lot of people are disillusioned with voting um i've, I've been seeing a lot of talk and chatter before this came out about oh yeah we're not going to do anything we're not going to vote you know and then the democrats have been pretty much uh, expected to lose a lot of places in the midterms it's like this is where you got to go right now. You got to make sure that doesn't happen in the midterms because otherwise these places where it's threatened and where it's restrictions coming soon, you're going to lose in these places. And it's not just men, it's anyone who supports that, that right needs to show up in the, in the midterms and, and vote for the outcome that they want. And keep in mind that the federal midterms coincide with most of the state elections as well. So when you're voting, it's not just about your Congress member, perhaps right. more importantly right now, you have to vote for someone who aligns with you at the state level on this issue, because that's where the decisions are being made. Right. Now, legally, can a state, now what can happen right now is that people can go from, let's say you're in a state that, that restricts it and bans abortion, and you need to get one. And so you go to the next state over where it's legal, you get an abortion, and then come back. Can, can can your state law restrict you from going over state lines for the purpose of getting abortion? No. 
Okay. All right. I, I had the question because there is some kinds of laws in, in that regard um, and not to, to try to, 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 to mix them with anything else, but I believe it's, Ill, it's illegal for someone to, uh, an, an United States citizen to leave the country in order to do sex tourism with underage people in other countries where it's legal. Uh, so I just wondered if they could restrict you. Going to other countries though, but in the right. US, it's something called the Privileges and Immunities Clause, where you have basically, once you go into another state, you have the rights of anyone else in that state, for the most part. I mean, it's right. complicated when it comes to certain issues, but uh, you, you can't discriminate against someone from a different state. Okay, so there's no danger of, of the state saying, okay, well, you're a citizen of this, of our state, and, you know, it applies to you. No, if you go to a state like New York, New York now is taking care of you. So it's up to New York to say, we're going to give you the procedure, we're going to help you or we're not. Right, right, right. So, so yeah, it's not that, that's where it's at right now. You know, you got to go where it's accessible and you got to show up at the midterms. Right. I wanted to talk about also the Justice Thomas concurrence, because when we spoke about the draft opinion, we mentioned how this was very dangerous for a number of reasons, one of which it could lead to other rights being overturned as well. And I talked about the right to contraception. I talked about interracial marriage. I talked about gay marriage. I talked about private consensual relationships. Justice Thomas, in his consent, basically said that. Right. He said, well, we have no substantive due process anymore, meaning we're not going to interpret the due process clause of the 14th Amendment to include these liberty interests such as abortion. Well, all these other rights, which were landmark cases, were decided with that same reasoning. So if we're going to undo abortion on these grounds, that allows us to, to undo all these other rights on the same grounds. That was a big part of the danger in reading the opinion. Yes. Now, this was a con concurrence that Justice Thomas made, meaning he agreed with the result, right? He voted to strike down the law, but his reasoning was different. He actually went further out on a limb and went even more crazy than the majority did. So they don't agree necessarily with his reasoning. Really, in the majority opinion, the right to privacy is not undone entirely. It was more that the right to privacy was implied and the right to abortion was implied from that implied right. And they said, we're not going to do two levels of, it, of implied. They didn't outright say there's no more right to privacy and, and all these things have to fall. But there is that door opened now to go down that path and do a similar type analysis. Justice Thomas is saying, hey, we opened this door. We should just get rid of all these things. Uh, I did mention previously the equal protection component, which is another layer of protection constitutionally that some of these issues have that others don't. So abortion didn't have the equal protection component because it wasn't about discrimination. At least that's not how the court interpreted it. Contraception also falls under that category. It's either you could do it or you can't. But we start getting into marriage, for example, or even having whatever kind of sexual relationship you want with someone. You start getting into this equal protection aspect, which is the law says, the constitution says, you can't treat certain groups of people differently from others. So if the court tried to overturn, for example, gay marriage or interracial marriage, it wouldn't just have to deal with this due process issue. It would have to deal with the idea of, well, wait a minute, how could you tell some people they can get married, but not others? So that is another layer of protection that currently would keep those rights in place. However, we see now the court does what it wants, right? It can overturn itself. So we shouldn't say, okay, we're confident it's never going to change. No, they could change it. But I do want to be intellectually honest and say that the abortion decision doesn't automatically knock down those other things because there are other barriers in place that will keep them in. Right. And, and 
in 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 making their decision it, it's you know wasn't one of the arguments that they made was that okay well um you know it's this isn't going to apply even though we're using the same reasoning this isn't going to apply to other things because this is a special case but right. now that the actual decision is out written thomas is like yeah, it's not really a special case. It can apply to some of these other things. That's so there's exactly all it. mistrust. That, that, right, that's exactly it. The majority opinion is saying, hold up, we're doing all this constitutional dancing here to reach this conclusion about abortion, but don't read into it too much because we really just don't like abortion. Thomas is saying, no, I like the dancing you're doing. We should do that same dance on these other issues. Right. So, and, and here's, it's even worse is there was, and I forget the name, I'll have to look it up. There was actually a sitting, a sitting congressman who posted on Twitter saying, now let's look at uh, Plessy versus Ferguson. Oh, yeah, now that, that from Texas. I actually believe he was misrepresented in that. I think he looks terrible because of what he said and how he said it. I don't think he was actually intending to say, let's overdo, let's, let's undo segregation. I don't think that's what he was trying to say. I think he was quoting President Obama. And Obama's tweet was about the Supreme Court overturning itself and how bad it was that in this case, they overturned years of precedent. And so he was trying to be sarcastic with Obama by saying, now do Plessy v. Ferguson. So he's saying, basically, it's sometimes a good thing for the court to overturn itself because uh, Brown v. Board of Education overturned Plessy v. Ferguson. And that was also in the Supreme Court decision. They're saying, it's not always bad that we overturn ourselves. Sometimes it's the right thing to do. And they were comparing themselves to the Brown Court, which is crazy. But they're saying that they're fighters for civil rights the same way they they were in Brown v. Board of Education. I think that was what the senator was was getting at. He was saying to Obama, um, you're saying that overturning precedent is bad? Okay, take that same approach. Keep that same energy with the Plessy being overturned by Brown. Right. Well, you're giving him more credit than I, than I would. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, he should, maybe he doesn't but, deserve credit. But I, I, I'm trying to be fair. I don't think he meant that we should go back to segregation. I, I really don't think he was trying to say that. We hope we hope not. We hope not. But it, it is, you know, it is necessary to even take that to 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 allow for that possibility. That could and the have fact been. that we even have to have this conversation and say, is that what he meant? Shows us where we are as a country. Right. Absolutely. So should we try to overturn like uh, term limits or do we bloat the bench and add more seats like everyone's saying? It will be easier to do that you, you, because the Constitution doesn't require nine justices. That's set by Congress. So you wouldn't need a constitutional amendment to change the number of justices on the court. You could just pass a law doing that. The question is, is that the right approach? All it's doing is adding more. Now, you can certainly right. make the argument that, okay, if you have a president come in who serves one term like Trump did, he's not going to be able to, or she's not going to be able to fundamentally alter the makeup of the court by just making two or three appointments when you have more than nine people, right? The more people on there, the harder it is to change the makeup of the court. But that works the other way too. If we're trying to change the makeup of the court, do we want to make it harder on ourselves? Unless we're confident that we can both add the number of justices to a higher number and get a lot more people who agree with us in at the same time, right? Yeah. I think a lot of these are, are I don't know, sometimes it seems like some of the the, the things that people are, are, are asking for it's maybe they're not completely understanding what's what's potential right they're right. talking about okay, you have to just just expand the court and that'll fix it or just codify the law that'll fix it. it's like now there are a lot of other moving parts here and, and as easily as you could expand the court you could unexpand it right i mean right. 
You can get an administration that says, no, we don't like that. We're going to go back to nine. Hey, we're going to go back to three justices. And guess what? We're telling you who those three people are. They could do the same thing. Right. Absolutely. So I think I think the 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 main takeaway, to, at least to me, is that, um, and I think it was probably always meant to be that, is the people have to show up. Because, you know, this is the, the where the vote is at is where these types of things get decided. I mean, you put in people who are going to going to represent the way that you want things to, to be. And so if we're we're lax on that, then they're just going to run amok and they're going to do what it is they, they want to do versus whatever special interest is in their ear or whatever they personally believe. Right. And so far, everything I've seen has indicated that the polling or the, the expected turnout for the midterms hasn't really changed a whole lot as a result of this. And that's mm -hmm. alarming. You would think it would wake a lot of people up and realize that elections have consequences and people need to come out and vote. I'm still hopeful that's what we'll see. I haven't seen any data yet to suggest that's going to happen. So we're seeing a lot of like, this has actually been a pretty crazy three weeks as far as fundamental changes in, in, in law in this country and, and involving the Supreme Court. I mean, not just that one, like we've got a couple others to, to, to get on to as well. Right. And I wanted to talk about this was also a Supreme Court decision. This came out by Thomas. So he's not the concurrence. He's the majority in this one. And this relates to New York's law about carrying a firearm. Now, for those who didn't know, in New York, it was very difficult to get a permit to carry a gun outside the home. In 2008, the Supreme Court said that that was a right. You have a Second Amendment right to have a gun, and it's an individual right. It applies to self-defense. It's something that anyone can have a gun. But in New York, it was always in your house, okay, but to carry it outside your house, we're going to require a special permission and you had to show a special need. So you couldn't just say, I'm interested in self-defense. I want to carry a gun. You had to have a really compelling reason to do so. So in this case, that was just decided also by the Supreme Court. They said, since we said that it's right, the Second Amendment right to have a gun, the state can't say you have to have a very special need. That's too burdensome on the person. If you have an interest in self-defense, you should be able to have a gun unless it's really reasonable. You shouldn't have one. So they kind of flipped that around on New York. So this doesn't mean that automatically everyone can carry a gun in New York, but it does mean that it's going to be easier for someone to apply and get a permit to do so. Armand, you packing? No, I, I'm not. Um, you know, it, it's funny because I I was actually thinking about, um, you know, signing up for a permit, uh, you know, for my home, you know. Um, you know, I've been to, uh, you know, Vegas. I, you know, I went to shooting ranges, you know, it's all cool and everything. And, you know, I was thinking about something like that. Um, but you know what my issue is and uh you know me personally is i think there's too many emotional people out there right um and and if someone could just go you know go around walk out of the house with a the gun they're having a you know what if they're having a really bad time really really bad night something where they're just like you know what i just don't care you know what's to stop them and i'm not saying that if this wasn't um you know if they weren't allowed to bring it that they couldn't get a gun right or and that they couldn't bring it out and they couldn't do harm Right. But it, I think it's about the accessibility uh, of it. You know, maybe someone, you know, think about road rage. You see it all the time. And I've seen, you know, many videos and you hear the stories that somebody cut somebody off. They got so emotional. You know, I, I remember this one story and I think it was in Florida um, that there was this um, this ex-veteran who um, accidentally cut this guy off. He totally he didn't mean it. He realized he made the mistake and he was flagging him down like, hey, I'm sorry. They came to a stop and the, um, the girlfriend was driving. So the boyfriend gets out. 
he's trying to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off. And the guy was so heated that they ended up killing each other by shooting each other. And that was just from road rage. So to me, you know, and I see it all the time. We see it and we hear it. There's too many emotional people out there, you know, and, and it, all it takes is one day for them to not, um, you know, for, for them to not uh, care about their own life, to, to be able to take somebody else's life for, you know, something small that, that just, you know, makes them snap. So I think accessibility is an issue. Um, and I'm not saying it still wouldn't happen, but it would happen less. And I think, you know, why, you know, especially when, when you talk about, I know this might be a little off topic, but like a mass, you know, mass shooting, someone is trying to mass, you know, kill people in masses, right? Why, why, why don't we ever see anything with grenades or bazookas? It's because they can't get their hands on them, right? So exactly, exactly right. And I'm glad you mentioned that, that it's about availability and accessibility, because the counterpoint that you always hear, and it really just comes, I believe, from the NRA, is that what's the problem? Gun laws only affect the law abiding. So if you're not going to follow the law, if you're a bad guy, you're going to get a gun. You're already out there carrying a gun. Um, so you're only restricting people who want to follow the law, the good people, by having these laws in place. You have to level the playing field. But that's really a false dichotomy. That's not how the world works. It's about availability and the amount of guns that are floating around. And, you know, we talked about the, the, the flow of guns from states where there are really are no strict gun laws. So you go there, you get a gun, you bring it right back. So more guns floating around really are a direct result of laws, lenient laws. And, and to, to Armand's point, this just happened a couple of days ago um, in, in Atlanta. Um, in a subway, there was the, the worker and the customer where in the customer thought that the worker put too much mayonnaise on his sandwich and they ended up in a shootout where people ended up dying. You know, the customer pulled out their gun and then apparently the manager in subway had a gun, too, and they had a shootout. So it's like, do we have I understand we have the rights and no one's trying to take away all guns. But the idea is, like, does the country have the emotional maturity? now to, to be walking around like that with, with guns just out or have that accessibility so easy to everybody? Well, the court did say now that New York can have sensitive areas where guns won't be allowed, but it didn't provide much guidance as to what those areas were. It did say, well, New York can't get clever and say all of Manhattan is a sensitive area. They've got to zero in a little bit more than that. But aside from that, they didn't really say what was allowed and what wasn't. So obviously we're thinking of schools, we're thinking of certain places where we really don't want to have people with guns, maybe even on the subways. But then when you start getting into public accommodations like that, I think that kind of leaves us vulnerable to another challenge by saying, hey, wait a minute, you're trying to restrict me from carrying in public and this quarter race that I had a right to do that. Right. Absolutely. I mean, how do you feel about that, Jeremy? I mean, you're going to have to like, uh, you know, leave your bazooka at home now. <laughs> Right. Well, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm like anybody else. I follow the news and I see uh, there's a lot of uh, bad guys uh, that are getting their hands on guns. So I can see that, you know, people might want to um, arm themselves, you know, and level that playing field. And I remember I've even been to church, you know, at one point where uh, I'm not going to say where, but they said, if you have a license to carry, please bring it to church, you know, because you never know when it's going to be your church and, you know, you might have to be the one to do something, you know, wow. and God forbid, and we always want to avoid these situations and not talk about them, you know, but, you know, sometimes like somebody that's armed on premises, 
is uh, better than waiting 20 minutes for somebody to, to bring their gun. So, you know, you're caught between a rock and a hard place. You want to be ideal about it, but you have to be pragmatic about it. And I don't know, like for business owners, for people in school, um, you know, school safety, like, you know, there's a lot of uh, pressing issues, you know, and, you know, that we don't want to hear about. But sometimes uh, some people, you know, some of the good guys need guns, too. I think we also need to take that into account know what they're doing. I think we also need to look at this idea that uh, I know that that comes up a lot about you know the bad guys, the bad guys have the guns, the good guys need to have the guns, and we've got like I think two situ two examples here. Like we just saw the, the shooting in Texas at the elementary school. The cops were on scene; those were the good guys with the guns, and they didn't do anything. They didn't even step in. So how do we expect that you know uh, you know some some Joe somebody on the street, just a regular regular person with a gun? is going to be responsible enough in that situation or be uh, have the, the 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 fortitude in that situation to to go head to head with a bad guy with a gun and then on on the other side is like is it always that it's a bad guy with a gun what if it's a guy with a gun who goes into this grandiose mind state of i'm going to be this hero now or i'm going to be this protector or i'm going to be this law enforcer like george zimmerman did um bernie gets, bernie gets on the subway the vigilante. Uh, yeah, I mean, how, yeah. How do we deal with that? That's a great point, Jay, because people always try to frame this as the good guy with the gun versus the bad guy with the gun. But this isn't a, a Western movie. Life is more complex than that. There's all kinds of shades in gray. And by the way, even if there is a good guy and a bad guy in a situation, how can you discern who's who? At this right. point, there's just people shooting. No, at I mean, violence is a tale as old as time. We're not right. going to stop the violence. It's never going to stop. It always was is and always will be you know we're not perfect we're not put here as angels you know we're here we're endowed by our creator we can create we can destroy you know it matters uh you know what side of the bed you wake up on you know so i don't i don't have uh, all the answers to all of this but i just i could imagine how people feel when they see that you know things are going down out there i might want to have a little extra protection absolutely yeah. And, and I was just going to say, Mike, and to your point, that happened not so long ago, I think, within the month that I read something where um, someone stopped an active shooter um, and he ended up getting shot, th them thinking that he was an active shooter. You know, so I and I think and, and, and Jeremy, you, you know, you bring up a good point, man, because I think, you know, trying to look at it from both sides, is there a right or wrong answer? You know, maybe maybe if you if we break it down as, as small as, um, you know, the numbers game, you know, the more people with weapons outside the more confrontation that can happen, the better chance that people are shooting each other. I think that's just, you know, from, from a statistical standpoint, you know, more people with guns, more outside, you know, it's gonna, ha you know, I think it's gonna uh, increase. Domestic violence situations and suicides, you know, right. more violence. And, and I think it's gonna also increase it. So like if more people are in possession of guns, then other people are going to feel they need a gun to be to protect themselves from now this this rise of gun possession because now well without well, so many people around with them I need to have one just in case as well and so now it's like this arms race in in the in the public and, and just but, to be clear, I'm not against guns myself like you know I get oh, it yeah. you know I think you know I think people should be able to have them and I know so many people absolutely responsible with them 
Um, you know, and, and they, you know, sometimes they even teach their kids from a really young age and then they, they, the kid understands the power of a weapon and they, and they educate them. And I think that's super important and, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I'm just thinking, and, and that's what, one thing that scares me, like, you know, with, with, with being able to go, you know, I, I don't think I'd ever live in like a Florida or a Texas, you know, because again, I have to worry about my son growing up, you know, and, and, and something being too emotional or there's a confrontation and then him not coming home, you know, like for me, I, I can't do it personally. No, absolutely. Romantic relationship with guns in America, and you can look at our history, maybe it goes back to quote unquote cowboys and Indians or the movies that we've seen, the way we we brought up in this country, the, the Wild West, the frontier, all that kind of stuff. But no one really thinks about all the training that has to go into it. And, and like you said, caring for the weapon and respecting it as a tool. It's just, I think people just think of the movies, honestly, or think of their toys as a kid. We're all going to get a gun and arm ourselves and protect ourselves. But it doesn't work that way. Do you know how to use that gun? Do you know how to care for that gun? Do you know how to aim? I mean, it, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. I mean, when I think about this situation, all I could think about is we need more early interventions. You know, like we need to strike that balance between having law and order and those interventions uh, for young children at an early age, like you play these, uh, you know, games, you know, first person shooter games and everyone's shooting everyone and, and they're excited about it, you know, and, uh, you know, you have these like that that's not reality. Like I was working with an autistic child uh, recently and uh, he had a preoccupation with uh, guns and violence, you know. I spoke with him, you know, at length and he was telling me, I like Rambo. I love all of these movies that, you know, glorify war and such. So he would come to school and he would freak people out by, you know, making, um, you know, rifle, rifle gestures with his hands. You know, I took the time I understood him and where it was coming from, but everybody else freaked out. You know, they, um, they discharged the student he had to go on to a, a better setting, but you know this is uh, the type of stuff some people can't be trained out of it, you know. But you know some people, you know, like if we could get to them younger, you know, then they could be brought up in understanding, you know, that you know when people die on TV, you know, that's just acting. But you know, there's real life consequences, and there's you know a lot of fallout to you know taking a life unnaturally, you know, and, and we just don't even teach each other how to respect life anymore. You know, like every life is valuable, you know, like it's, it's a dog eat dog world out there sometimes. So I think just getting down to those basics, like every life is necessary, like it could go a long way. Lixa in the chat says states that have looser gun control don't have people shooting each other. I mean, I don't think that's the case. I don't want to go into stats on shootings, but I will say that you can prove very easily that states with looser gun regulations uh, have guns that make their way to our state. And so, you know, we, we have charts on this. We have all kinds of data on this. States that have tough gun laws still do have illegal guns coming in, but they're coming from states that don't have the tough laws. And that's why I proposed the origin bill, which would kind of personalize this and drive it home. I really think we need to introduce this ASAP in our legislature and around the country, where if you are the victim of a crime, if any crime happens and we can recover a gun used and we can trace where that gun came from, we should show the public where it came from. I mean, how personal would it be if 
someone that you love were held up at gunpoint and you found out that, well, that particular gun made its way to New York from Virginia, for example, or North Carolina or Pennsylvania. And we could look at those states and say, okay, it really does matter what the laws are in those particular states. I think, I think what Jeremy said kind of is, uh, struck me as interesting as well. Like that idea that kid came and he was using gun gestures and people were freaking out. Like growing up, nobody would have freaked out at that time you know because we you know everyone played cops and robbers and we all had toy guns or it was just you know and even if you look in some of the old tv shows going back in the in the 60s and the 50s and stuff and the kid is wearing the cowboy hat with the with the holster and the gun walking around school or, or shooting like we weren't that afraid of it because i mean i guess these things weren't happening in mass shootings like they are now it just shows that such a difference in, in how our society is, has changed. Well, I guess I'm also all for stricter penalties, you know, for people, you know, carrying these illegal guns, you know, early intervention, yes, let's, we got to help the young people, but for the people out there that think that, oh, you know, I'm going to carry a gun and even if I get caught, it's just X, Y, and Z, I, you know, I feel like there has to be, uh, you know, um, tougher punishments, you know, we, we li should live in a society with crime and punishment, you know, as well as, you know, rehabilitation to bring people back into the public. But, you know, if you're causing a problem, you have to know it's not going to be a walk in the park. Right. Lixa said, we grew up in a great time, post-nuclear drills and pre-lockdown drills. Like, and, and it's kind of crazy to think, I mean, you know, in those older times, they were having, you know, nuclear drills, like the threat of nuclear war with Russia. And so they'd have those in school, in some schools. But now it's like, now you've got active shooter drills. It's just, it's, it's kind of crazy to, to even think that those were possibilities either way. Yes, it is a crazy time. And we have another case to discuss, which may provide further evidence that we live in a crazy time or not. I don't know, we'll get our thoughts on that. But before we do, I want to reveal our poll results from last week, because we asked if people thought that the speaker of the council should have less authority when it came to allocating funds to individual council members. In other words, should process be more fair? Should everyone have the same amount? So you wouldn't have to argue over this. We tried to neutralize it when it came to the discretionary funds, but there was something now called the speaker's initiative, which is another pot of money that was allocated for the budget where the speaker was able to fund projects of individual council members in their districts. And there was some controversy over the fact that these council members who voted against the budget saw their names taken away from the projects. I saw the speaker on New York One doubling down on, she's defending her decision, saying, listen, this is like Congress members who didn't want to vote for the surplus, but wanted credit, you know, credit for the funds, the stimulus money. Uh, she, she said, listen, you have to own it. If you don't want the budget, you think the budget is bad, you don't want to fund the, the programs and you shouldn't get the credit for the programs that do get funded. So she's sticking to that approach. City and state further reported that council members who voted against the budget on average saw less money allocated to their organizations, organizations that they supported than council members that did support the budget. But that's been called a coincidence. How coincidental is it? I don't know. So we put this question out there. Should it be a, a more equitable process? Should individual council members have all the same amount of money? Should all their organizations that they support get the same, you know, or should the speaker continue to have, quite honestly, a wide 
birth? Why discretion over the amount of funds that are allocated? So that was the question on my poll. 100% of respondents said the speaker had too much authority. I think that was kind of the conclusion that we, we kind of came to as well, that yeah, that was a little bit too much power to be in the hands of one person. Um, should be maybe some process, some system, something, some kind of checks and balances on that, uh, especially when it's being used, um, you know, I don't know, retaliatory, in retaliatory right. way, you know. And, you know, to be fair on this, the issue does get a little bit complicated because it's not as if every organization only serves one district and everything's like neatly carved up into line. I mean, a lot of it is based on need and certain organizations serve a lot right. more maybe those organizations were favored by certain council members now who voted against the budget and so they, they were punished and, and that's not right but it's not that easy to fix either right it's not as easy as saying every organization has to get the same money that that wouldn't be a fair way to do it either right yeah yeah I, hey hopefully they can find some way to fix that because I, I think to me the ultimate issue with that is if it's being used as uh, you know response to politicians not voting the way that you want them to, I think that to me that's a much bigger issue than one person being able to allocate the budget a certain way. Um, because if they're using it in a malicious manner, I think we have a much bigger problem there. Right. Favoritism is another tale as old as time. You know, like. They're going to do it with the money, you know, like money into their neighborhoods, money for their favorite 501c3s. You know, if they're not doing it with money, it's, you know, who's going to get the bigger office? You know, there's a lot of perks to uh, favoritism in politics. So we're not going to fix it. Everyone wants, you know, everyone wants their enough control to, you know, look like they're doing a good job, you know, and uh, that's all I got to say about that. I think the best we could hope for is to make the system as fair as possible, understanding that politicians are people and politics is relational at the end of the day. It's, you know, we're, we're not run by robots, we're run by people. And a, a side effect of that is people are people and they do people things, right? And it's just part of the system. That's, it's not the perfect system, but it's the best one we have. I, I right. use that line. Well, the promise of democracy is, is what we're aiming for the hope and the continued growth, the continued growth, but it is a flawed system. Right, so in the three minutes we have left, I wanted to get to this final case we wanted to discuss. Now, this was not a US Supreme Court case. It was a state Supreme Court case in New York. And for those who don't know, in New York, we call our Supreme Court, uh, the, the trial court, it's, it's called the Supreme Court. It's not the highest court in the state. It's, it's arguably the lowest, not technically the lowest, but it's where trials are held. So. This is gonna be appealed now most likely to higher courts and can go up to the Court of Appeals in New York, but a judge in Staten Island has invalidated the city council's allowing of non-citizens to vote in local elections. Now, the city council did not attempt to give authority of non-citizens to vote in federal elections or state level elections, but they did say in elections for mayor, for city council, for city controller, for public advocate, for municipal elections, non-citizen permanent lawful residents were allowed to vote. This was challenged and found to be by a judge in Staten Island unconstitutional based on the idea that 
Number one, in the New York State Constitution, it says citizens can vote. It doesn't say only citizens, but it mentions citizens voting. So that's number one. So the argument there was, well, does that mean that only citizens can vote? Or does that mean citizens plus whoever else we say can vote? Number two, the state election law does say you have to be a citizen to vote. However, this was not a state law. This was a local law. There's also a provision in the state election law saying that if any provision of law is passed that contradicts what's in here, use the newer provision, not what's in our law. But that gets a little dicey because there's argument over whether that provision applies to conflicting state law only or also convicting local law. And in fact, I was in court over that point. It was never ultimately decided. But in a related issue, when you run for city council, if you are Using the state election law, you need 900 signatures. Under this New York City Charter, you need 450 signatures. So the Board of Elections has been using the city's lower number because it's a city agency and they use a city law, even though the state law says you need twice as much. And what they've always said is, well, this is part of the election law that says that any conflicting provision, you go to the new one. There is controversy over that, right? Uh, it hasn't really been decided as to whether that means that any conflicting city law will override the state law. It has to be conflicting state law. And that kind of remains to be seen. So the bottom line here is that it's not a very cut and dry issue as to whether this was allowed or not, whether it's constitutional or not. The judge in Staten Island said that it was not constitutional, that because the constitution mentioned citizens voting and because the state election law says only citizens can vote, you could not allow non-citizens to vote. So. We can expect appeals most likely, and the battle will continue in court. In the meantime, I guess the question is, do we agree with the decision? I, I you and I had talked about this briefly um, offline before. Um, I think, I, I don't think citizen, non-citizens should be allowed to vote in the elections. Uh, I think it does get a little bit murkier if you bring in the idea of uh, long-term permanent residents. I, I can see, I can see someone bringing an argument for that. They've been there, you know, like I, I've, for example, I've lived here for, for nine years, in you Japan. know, in Japan for nine years. I don't have the right to vote here, but I have lived here nine years, which is a pretty significant amount of time. So I could see someone trying to make an argument that if I was a permanent resident and that amount of time lived in, in Japan, that I should have the right to vote. Uh, maybe not even in a national election, maybe in a local election. If I've been a certain place for a long time, contributing to the community, contributing to society, I can see that. Um, but off top, I would say, I don't think that uh, non-citizens should be allowed to vote in the elections. I should mention also, and this could end up being part of the case on appeal, New York City did used to allow non-citizens to vote in local school board elections until 2002. So there is precedent for it happening here. Never at this level, though. I think we need to, to, to be very clear when we're talking about this. They're talking about allowing permanent residents the right to vote, not not like, you know, um, uh, undocumented. Not people out of status. Right. Not right. people without permanent, status. Yeah, Talking yeah. about permanent residents, which is a which is a very specific legal status of a person. They've been in the country for a certain amount of time. They've got a certain uh, visa or status that allows them to permanently remain in the country. They may not be citizens. They may have been here 10, 20 years. They've got a certain stat status. So I think it has to be very clear that it's not talking about you know, just anybody can show up in the country and be like, okay, hey, there's an election today, I'm going to vote. So there's, there's a little bit of a difference there. Right. 
Uh, but the flip side to that is, isn't that the greatest privilege and right we get by becoming right. If you allow people to vote who aren't citizens, then really, why become a citizen, right? I mean, maybe the solution should be making it easier for people to become citizens. Right. Um, Licks in the, in the chat said visas are not permanent residents. Um, and she's, she's correct. Um, permanent resident is once you basically, you can graduate from that visa system, right? So you need to have a visa to, to be in the country and, you're, and the visas are given based on specific purposes. Right. So, for example, the visa that I have, there are certain jobs that I'm not allowed to do in the country because my visa is specific for certain for certain types of activity. Once if I were to apply for permanent residency, then I would be out of that visa system and I just have a permanent right to be in the country and I can do it, what have you, uh, any types of jobs that are available. So what do you think about, you know, non-citizens voting, um, Armand? Yeah, I mean, to me. It kind of goes to your point. Um, if you live in the area, you're contributing, you know, why you should be able to, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I have friends who, who came from, you know, different places, you know, with, uh, you know, first on a working visa and then eventually got, you know, um, you know, got their citizenship, but, you know, they were contributing still to taxes and, 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 um, you know, a member of the community. Um, so if you're in there, especially for a certain period of time, at the very least, you should have the right, you know, because because you, you are part of that community. Uh, maybe not from that legal standpoint, but you know, you you are part of that community. So I, I would agree with that. Um, Even if they're not citizens. Yeah, but if if we're allowing them there, right? Like um, like I have some friends uh, even from Dominican Republic who came over here, right? Um, you know, and even until he got citizenship, he was still working. He was still paying his taxes. Still part of the community. Um, the only thing is, is he was working on the citizenship. If he could have had it, you know, to your guy's point, and 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 it was easier, it would have been done quick, right? He eventually ended up getting citizenship, but during that time, he was here for like I think five plus years um, or something like that. Um, and he should, I, you know, to me, I would think at that point he should have the right to vote. Um, you know, that, that I mean, that's my opinion. If you're contributing, if you live in the area, I'm not saying if you could just go hopping around anywhere, but if you're living there for a certain period of time, you're contributing. To that community, why why shouldn't you be allowed to vote? I feel like um, it's just another one of those things. Like uh, you know, it's like a premium right. Like we have rights, I guess, that are at a premium. I guess that's the ultimate right as a United States citizen is having the vote and having the say. So maybe it's just really being held on a pedestal. Like um, like residency <laughs> is not good enough. Like, are we giving away the vote because it's a close enough, you know? Like, so do do the do people feel like it gets watered down if you just hand it out to people that haven't exercised that ultimate devotion of uh, citizenship? Um, so that could be something that you know. I guess that gets done all over the place. You know, it's just seen maybe as a premium right. Right. I it's a fundamental right and it is really at the heart of what we think about when we think about our rights as american citizens right we, we talked about how democracy isn't a perfect system but it's what we got we want to make it more perfect as this is like kind of holy to us right from a legal perspective from a constitutional perspective from uh just a human rights perspective we think about voting and it's a very sacred right but we also tend to associate it with being a citizen because that is really 
how our country was set up. And yes, that idea is really enshrined in our even state constitution and in our state election law. So maybe the problem is it's too hard to become a citizen, right? I mean, maybe we're trying to solve the wrong problem here. And my question would be, what, what would the worry be if that happened? What would be the biggest well, concern you guys think of, of, of people and why? I mean, I, I, giving people the right to vote who are not citizens? Yeah. Who, who, well, I think who, number one would disincentivize becoming a citizen. Why would you right. even bother at that point? Right, because here's the thing. When you're a citizen, there are things that you are that you have a responsibility to as well. Like, for example, as a United States citizen, even though I'm living outside the country, I'm required to fire, file my taxes every year. Right. To, to I, I still have to be you know accountable to the U.S. government for that. Also, as a citizen, as a male, you're required to to sign up for selective services to to, to say that you're going to serve in the military. I don't now. I don't know if legal residents. At, at that age has to do the same, have to do the same thing, but that's one thing that we have to do. Um, so if you're allowed to be as a legal resident, a long-term resident to vote, but you don't have to follow, follow these other obligations, then again, what's the point of, what's the incentive to, to become a citizen for you? If you get all the same rights and everything that every other citizen gets, you know, what's, you know, but none of the restrictions or, or one of the other. It's a very proud moment when you see people become citizens and, they, and you say, okay, so what are you going to do now? I'm going to go sign up to vote. It's, that's like, you know, that's really the whole process. That's really the light at the end of the tunnel that they see, putting themselves right. through that process, which sometimes is too hard of a process. But right. that's really the reward at the end of it. And I think it's really part of our American history and tradition that citizens can vote. And uh, right. I want to see more citizens. I want to see more people voting. But I would like to see it easier to become a citizen then. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, and I would agree with that. And, and I get your point, Jay, too. With you know, with what you're saying, uh, but but I really wonder, honestly, um, of the people who come over here from different places um, to become a citizen, how many of them are saying, "I want to come here and become a citizen to vote"? Like, if we're really honestly thinking about like the people who come over to this country, are they saying, "I want to be part of the United States so I can vote"? Not saying that they don't want to, or I'm not saying, but you know, I, I think it's just well, that. On. I think you might be conflating two different ideas. I think people come to the U.S. not necessarily to vote, but they're not going to necessarily become a citizen either. They're just going to come if that's the case, right? If they want to raise their family, if they want to give their family a better life. You don't need to be a citizen to do that. But I think right. becoming a citizen, to me, voting is certainly near the top, if not at the top of the list as to why you would really go out of your way to become a citizen. Right. Yeah. And I think also, you know, there is a, something to be said that for coming over to the United States or to any country really, but in this case, the United States coming over to the United States. And part of our marketing is that, you know, the people have a hand in their destiny and that comes through voting. And so some people come from places who might have a different system, you know, that's, that's appealing to have that, to have that word. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, it's maybe, you know, Mike's, thing you know maybe we need to make it um easier to become a citizen or what if we do things like you know restrict what things they think that non-citizens can vote in you know if you're talking about it's a community issue like you've you participated participated in the community you've been a part of it you're paying your taxes maybe you can vote in things that are community level based things and not That's not state level things so so yeah so make it even more localized and that's right. fair. 
this is what it's affecting you. This is what you've been a part of. You know, maybe you're that's talking the school board idea was right. And that's really why I think you kind of hit on why it's different. Right. Because they'll use a school board precedent to say, OK, this has been done before, but it's really a different thing. Voting in the school board election is much more local than voting for the mayor. Right. Yeah. So maybe but, that's part of the solution. Maybe there's a tier system. You know, you become a citizen. Now you've got all the voting rights have opened up. You know, you can do presidents, you can do your senators, you can do your state senators elections. But if you're just a permanent, if you're a permanent resident um, and you have that status, then some of these community things, maybe, maybe you know, city council is, is open to you. Maybe assembly is open to you. Maybe, you know, things of that nature. Right, but when you start getting into the state law, now you're directly right. against the state election law. But, you know, again, it, it remains to be seen. I think you really need a decision on this particular point of law as to whether that part of the state election law that says any conflicting provision shall override this, shall supersede this. Does that mean any law, even at the local level, or does it have to be another state law? See, I was arguing in favor of a lower signature threshold because I was doing, again, for the signature for city council, I was saying that 450 was all you needed because of this provision saying that uh, the, the law is superseded by this newer provision. The uh, opponents were saying 900 was the, the threshold and that only applied to, to conflicting provisions of state law. And the court punted on that issue. So we never got a decision. I think there really needs to be some resolution on that. So we have some more guidance as to what's allowed and what's not. And there's a, there's a question that Chad Vladimir asked uh, or says, not a question, but a statement said that um, I signed up for selective service before I got my citizenship. My question for that would be, were you required to sign up for selective citizen, uh, selective service? Because citizens, male citizens between 18 and 25, I believe it is, are required to. I also would ask Vladimir, what motivated him to become a citizen? Did voting right. play a role in that decision? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. And again, even if there's like, you know, certain things that they do have to do, you know, and, you know, that that plays a part for. Um, even if you're not a citizen yet. So I think there's, uh, you know, I think there's things that we could do, but Jay, you, you know, that, that, that's also a good idea of what you're saying, you know, because they're part of that local community, maybe they're able to vote locally for, you know, for certain things. And, you know, that right. makes a lot of sense too. So let's put the poll question out for next week. Every week we do a poll based on part of our discussion. And the poll question we want to ask this time is, do you believe that lawful permanent residents who are not U.S. citizens should be able to vote in local elections? I think it's a good question. Good question. And I think it was a great discussion. I think we've also done what we <laughs> what we seem to keep doing is going over. <laughs> we get into these things and end up talking longer than we uh, planned. But I think they're yeah, good, good discussions. Those are the guests. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you guys for joining us and thank you all for tuning in. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, we want to also plug everywhere we're, we're at. We're at Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, Jay, what, where can people find us? Yes. Um, well, you, you, named, you named all of them. Um, anywhere podcasts are at. Um, if, you have, if you are into listening to podcasts, um, you can you know subscribe to the feed and, and automatically gets updated when a new one gets put up. Um, YouTube channel, please, everyone, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. We want to try to get those those numbers up. And um, we put everything 
on there as well. So it's, you know, wherever, wherever, however you consume media, you know, yeah, we're, we're there. So Nuance, Mike Scala and Jay Carter go look that up on YouTube, Spotify, anywhere podcasts, or like Jay said, media is available. Yeah. This, this week, there might be a delay because my computer is down, <laughs> but it will get put up. It will get put up. Uh, thank you, Lixa. She said she hit follow on Spotify. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you all. Guys, any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, for me, I just want to say thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, I, I enjoyed the discussion. Um, it's good to, you know, I think, you know, all of us are pretty level-headed people. Um, and we try to think logically, you know, not based off emotion, not based off of, of certain things, um, you know. And I think that's the best way to look at a, a lot of situations is, is trying to see the logic in it and, and, and try to be as neutral as possible when, when thinking it through and, and think of all the, you know, all, all the potential uh, future impacts of certain decisions, you know, that, that could be made. Um, and I think that's why uh, you guys always have some great discussions. So, no, thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. I just wanted to say uh, thank you for having me on the show again. And uh, I appreciate the good discussions. It's good to put our heads together. And, you know, it's important for everybody to know that regardless what happens, you know, with, the, with voting and who we vote in, that we have to support each other. You know, we have to do it locally support your community, support local businesses, support your families. And, uh, you know, no matter what the outcome is, you know, we, we have each other. So, you know, hopefully the world will be a better place, you know, if we're just a little bit kinder to each other. Thank you very much. Thank you, well said. And any former guest is always welcome to come back. We have an open door policy here. So it applies to you, Armand, certainly to anyone else who was with us before. Anytime you wanna come back, feel free to hit us up. Get back on the show here. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. All right. Thank you all. Have a great night.